everybody to another episode of Security Confidential. Today, we are honored to have Nicholas Potts join us. Nicholas is an extremely successful entrepreneur who started his journey, you won't believe it, at Enterprise Rent-A-Car, and then from there ended up in Fortune Magazine uh, as the CEO of ScriptDrop, a highly successful pharmaceutical delivery service. And now he has a new project in Gift Health. So, Nick, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you on the program today. Yes, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the time and look forward to the conversation. By the way, did I miss anything there? I mean, you're you're a very successful person. I, I want to give you all due credit here. So is there any part of your bio that I skipped over by chance? No, no, uh, definitely uh, had a great experience uh, working at Enterprise Rent-A-Car directly out of college. And then I joined Cover My Meds for a number of years and got to help uh, grow that software company, um, which they eventually were acquired by McKesson for a little over a billion dollars. Um, and then I left from Cover My Meds to start Script Drop about four and a half or five years ago. And over the time that I was the CEO of Script Drop, um, we got up to about 150 full-time team members. Um, and the solution is used by thousands of pharmacies across the country. Um, and has helped, I believe, up to 3 million or 4 million patients at this point, which of course is uh, what we're in healthcare for is to help those patients. So that's, that's always really exciting. That's incredible. Uh, what a great story. And, you know, we've had on Security Confidential, we've had so many CEOs and entrepreneurs on in past episodes, and all of their journeys were very, very unique. No, and, and part of our mission here is, of course, talk about cybersecurity, but also to uh, broaden people's horizons a little bit. And that's why those journeys become so relevant in case there's someone else that's listening that wants to consider pursuing their own dreams. And yeah. from, from enterprise to gift health to script drop, how did you, how do you make that transition? That you know, if you've never done something, um, that does not mean you can't do it or you can't learn to do that. Um, and just having that confidence and, hey, I can figure this out. I have the ability to if I work hard enough and I can find success in that. Uh, whereas a lot of folks, they end up not, you know, becoming an entrepreneur, or launching a company. Um, and it's often due to fear. Um, and once you can get past that, you can really see what type of ceiling you have. And it's incredibly exciting to do so. You know, uh, we, on a past episode, we talked about, uh, one of the advice pieces of advice was never make decisions out of fear. You, you have to do something. If you're going to do it, do it with self-confidence and do it with a degree of commitment. I, I think that's so easy to say, but I can tell you in my own instance, that was a, it's a very difficult thing to get over. It's not yeah. uh, a trivial bump. Yeah, well, humans, we're social creatures. So uh, even if you say that, you know, your neighbors or friends and you say their opinions don't matter, um, they do. Uh, and that is oftentimes what leads to that fear is, hey, I could start this company but there, I look at the stats and it says that 95% of startups fail or 90% of startups fail. Uh, so that's a high likelihood that, you know, my friends may make fun of me or my neighbors may laugh at me or whatever. Um, but it, 
you don't understand sometimes the flip side of that, that even if you do fail, um, using air quotes when I say fail, um, you actually succeed in, in that journey um, by launching something, by building a company. And as much as you learn throughout that journey, even if the company, you know, four years into it, it ended up not working out. Uh, you still are so much stronger because of that journey that you're better prepared for the next thing that happens in your career, whether that's joining another company or starting another startup. And Nick, let me ask you, were, did you have a background in pharmaceuticals uh, out of college? Was that what your education was? No. Yeah, not at all. Um, I grew up in the South, so I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and I yeah, yeah. So grew up in Music City. I can't sing or anything like that. I can't play instruments, so that wasn't good <laughs> in me at the city. Um, but uh, growing up, I wasn't really into technology. I don't even think I had a computer at my house until I was in college. Um, but really got into technology once I moved from Nashville to Columbus and then got into the pharmacy space when I joined Cover My Meds and was really fortunate to work under some folks that were incredibly experienced. And they kind of expedited my learnings. What may have taken me 10 years to learn, I was able to pack it into a condensed two and a half or three year period at Cover My Meds. And it really set me up to kind of succeed or have a better chance of success along the way with Script Drop and now Gift Help. Was there someone that helped you come up with a big idea for Script Drop, or was that your own brainchild? How did that innovation happen? Yeah, that that was my own brainchild. Um, how the innovation happened is I'm really big into data, so I would pull reports and just for fun, uh, which sounds crazy to some people, and I like you know looking at the data and just understanding the numbers and conversions and just tracking, you know, patients or users through platforms. It's really interesting to me. Uh, so that's how I came up with the idea for script job is I noticed that patients across the country, if they were asked to come back to the pharmacy. So let's use the example. If I dropped off my prescription today and they do not have it ready immediately and they say, Nick, can you come back tomorrow or come back in five hours to pick this up? Uh, about 15 to 22% of patients across the country will not return to the pharmacy to pick up that prescription. Really? Yeah, it's a, it is a, turns into really large problems if you think about a patient that maybe has heart disease or they're on, they got prescribed Xarelto, which is a blood thinning medication, and then suddenly you do not go and get that prescription picked back up and then you are back into the hospital. Um, so the simple premise for Script Drop um, is to build software that integrates within the pharmacy's uh, workflow and their systems to allow for them to offer prescription delivery to me rather than asking me to come back to the pharmacy for a second or a third time. And it can kind of get into that number of patients that aren't coming back and give them a solution to get their prescription delivered to their front door. Uh, so by inference, what you just stated, there's 15 to 22 percent of patients are non-compliant with the doctor's orders. Uh, that's actually just the side that don't, you know, go and pick up the prescription. It's uh, there's studies that even patients that pick up their prescription up to 50% of them are uh, non-compliant or non-adherent and they do not take the prescription as the doctor told them to. They'll forget doses or cut pills or, you know, only take it for five days or seven days where when it was a 30 day prescription. 
so it's a it's a huge problem in the healthcare system across the country. Yeah, I, you had a report on LinkedIn uh, that was published several months back, and it had a listing of all the conditions that people have uh, that common medications are prescribed for, and it ranged from anxiety to diabetes. I, I was just uh, amazed at the amount of people taking, like almost 10% of the country is taking anxiety meds. That's, uh, it's it's a huge number. I, and, and to think that of that percentage, maybe 50% from what you're saying is not compliant, they're really not even getting better. Whereas what you just uh, described as your model with ScriptDrop, will at least take one piece of inertia out of the way where if they're getting their drugs, maybe they'll be more apt to take them. Um, yeah, uh, the, the term I often use is patient friction. Um, the more friction that you have in the system, um, whether it's me going to the doctor's office or to make an appointment there, or getting a surgery or getting a prescription, um, each additional step that you ask of the patient, it creates additional friction. Um, and each one of those steps, you lose out on additional patients that, you know, they get sick of it or they just don't want to fill out the next form or to take the next phone call. Um, the more friction that we can remove with technology, uh, the better outcomes on the health side for patients as far as treatment. I, I'm just curious, what happens to these medications that aren't picked up? Like, where do they go? Because once the pharmacist fills it, do they get recycled or... No, so if the pharmacist counts out the pills and kind of gets it ready for you and then you do not pick it up, um, legally they have 14 days to figure out either shipping it to you, delivering it to you, or you coming into the pharmacy to pick it up. And then they have to run what's called a reversal. So that sends the transaction back to your PBM, which kind of it manages the payments. And then the pharmacy can either send that drug back to the wholesaler, so Cardinal or McKesson or Amerisource, um, or they can just leave it stocked in their inventory and dispense that to the next patient that needs that type of medication that can come and pick it up or will actually sign for the delivery or pay the copay. Um, so they're they're not wasted necessarily. Um, you just miss out on that opportunity to help a patient that you know their prescriber felt like they needed that medication and they need that treatment. So you of course miss out on that opportunity to impact their life. Now. I know that like handling of scheduled drugs, you know, you have to be a doctor or a pharmacist to prescribe them. But what about the drivers that are delivering them? What happens? Do, do they have to have some kind of a certification or is it the pharmacist that's actually the driver? I, yeah, it's dependent, I, it's dependent on state. Um, some states have different rules and regulations on what type of certification you need on the driver's side to deliver some of the controlled substances. Um, but what we found in the past is a delivery program that kind of creates a consistent package for every drug that is delivered. Um, that removes some of that complexity. So the driver, he or she never has any idea what type of prescription they're delivering. Um, it's just a very generic uh, package or envelope that they're dropping off to the patient. Um, that cuts down on kind of the fraud and abuse potential that oftentimes is brought up. Going back to friction, you know, in the healthcare space, it's so driven by third party payers. Mm -hmm. uh, how 
was your service paid for by insurance companies or uh, was it paid by the patient or the pharmacy? How um, did it, that work? It varies. Uh, so some PBMs have started offering to pay for the prescription delivery on behalf of the pharmacy and the patient. Um, but it's kind of uh, frequently and in the past fell on either the pharmacy or the patient to pay for that delivery. Um, and what I've seen kind of transpire across the country is that you can have this slower delivery service that maybe is next day or takes two days and the pharmacy makes that free for you and it, they won't charge you. And then they will allow the patient to upgrade and pay for you know an expedited service where it feels like you, you get that Uber type of experience. Um, and then of course there's some pharmacies that they even ensure that that service is free. So it kind of that just varies across the country um, depending on the geography the pharmacy, whether it's an independent pharmacy or a chain pharmacy. Um, so a lot of variability there. Yeah, but I figured that that payment process would cause a lot of friction, right? Yeah, well, of course, if, if think if you're a patient that you can't really afford to pay a $10 copay, and that is a reality for some patients, uh, you couldn't afford to also incur the cost of a 7 or $8 delivery on top of that copay, um, it becomes financially not possible for patients in some areas of the country, which is really, really sad. Now, what is the model at Gift Health? What are you doing there? Yeah, so we have a, a huge vision for Gift Health, so I'll explain it in kind of pieces. Um, we have acquired an operational pharmacy, and we'll kind of use that, I, I am saying the word, of like a software test kitchen, uh, you know, where we can test it with our pharmacy, some of the software that we'll, we're building before we push it out to a network of pharmacies in the thousands across the country, um, which is really good for software to have that live interaction, that test user that you just can get feedback from all the time. Absolutely. It will allow us to improve quicker as well. Um, so the core, as we scale this, it'll be a smart RX routing platform um, so any physician in the country, any patient in the country can work with our platform and send prescriptions to Gift Health, and then we will route that prescription to the best pharmacy for you. Um, whether that is price-based, proximity to your home, um, inventory, various things like that. Um, so that you as a patient, um, if you are currently working with three pharmacies, which does happen a lot with polypharmacy patients, in patients that are taking multiple medications for different disease states. Uh, you can kind of use us as your central platform, uh, no matter what pharmacy you work with in the country. Now, uh, I know like here in Pittsburgh, UPMC, if you go to them, those guys are adamant that you give us a name of a specific pharmacy and we will electronically send a prescription there mm -hmm. and there only. Yeah. Which is, I, I find it terribly annoying because if you want to shop around for the price of that drug, it really eliminates that possibility from taking place. So our vision, our vision is to solve that for you, where when UPMC says, what pharmacy should we send it to? You just say gift health, and then we do that shopping for you. Um, oh. and then you, the patient, when you originally sign up for our service, you kind of outline what you most care about, um, whether that's you know quick getting the prescription the quickest, or if it's delivery or price, or kind of a mix of all of those. And then we can handle all of that shopping and routing and everything for you. 
And then if, let's say you go to another prescriber outside of UPMC, you just tell that physician the same thing and say, just send it to Gift Health. Um, I know that they'll figure it out and find the best pharmacy for me. Now that is a very cool idea. We're excited about it. Um, yeah. We're very excited about it. Um, there's other companies that have attempted something like this and some that are operational and doing it. Uh, what we're using to kind of stand out is our background in integrations with pharmacy technology and EHRs and EMRs and that kind of nationwide network of pharmacies uh, to really kind of drive that fantastic patient experience um, based on the variables that you care most about. Well, let's, let's talk about that patient experience a little bit. You know, in, in our industry, in the cybersecurity world, especially with managed services, SLAs are ubiquitous. We are committing in writing to our clients that we will do X in X amount of time. And if we don't do that X, then you will get an amount of money back because we failed to meet our performance level. I have not seen anything like that in medicine uh, mm -hmm. where there is for the patient, whether it be at the hospital, at the physician's office, or at the pharmacy, any kind of a service level that is promised. What's, is it simply because the market doesn't demand it, it's not needed, or no one has really made an attempt at making that a differentiating factor? Where, what's yeah, the story? I think, um, from my perspective, there's service levels baked into reimbursements to hospitals and to pharmacies. And then there are service levels baked into some enterprise contracts that you know Gift Health would sign with a pharmacy chain or a hospital system. Um, but oftentimes the patient does not see those service levels and or they, they do not understand how that impacts them. Um, so you could take star ratings on the hospital side that if the hospital has significantly more readmissions than they should, that can affect their star rating and then again it affects the reimbursements that they're receiving for their services um, but you the patient uh, that doesn't necessarily guarantee that you get great service when you go speak to your physician or that he or she right. or that they're nice to you or anything like that right. um, and it's because of the model in healthcare that oftentimes you're the patient but you're not necessarily their customer if that makes sense um, so they're not, if you have insurance and a PBM and everything, uh, that physician isn't getting paid by you necessarily. And I think that affects the kind of communication with some um, tech platforms and or physicians in the country. Uh, but of course it, it's with, with anything. You have uh, some that don't give great service, um, but you have numerous physicians and pharmacists and healthcare workers that you know, they're crushing it, that they their service levels and customer service, they care about that more than anything. And it certainly shines through when you interact with them. Um, I recently uh, had to go to the my primary care physician and uh, then she referred me to a specialist. I had to have a quick procedure for, from an injury that I had. Um, the primary care physician, she was incredibly nice and helpful and everything else. And then when I met the surgeon, he was very short, didn't really want to talk to me. Um, and just wanted to get get rolling on everything um and it, i think it's just kind of human nature that different people interact differently and um sometimes you when you're in healthcare and you're sick you're frustrated anyways so then when yeah. you go into the the physician's office or the hospital um sometimes you're having such a bad day that no matter what they say to you they can't make you feel better 
um, about that day specifically? I can understand it from that side, but you know, ultimately uh, the patient is still the customer, man. I somehow yeah. think they need to treat them like that. So how is Gift Health coming? How is that project progressing? Are you guys uh, seeing a lot of traction or are you at a stage where you're launching to a broader market? Yeah, so it's going really well. So we just started working on this a couple of months ago and we've raised capital from investors, um, both Mucker Capital out of LA and then Allos Ventures out of Indianapolis. Um, and then we have already closed on the pharmacy acquisition. We actually closed on that this week. So we had been working on that for about seven or eight weeks, just going through diligence and all everything that comes with acquiring another company. Um, so I got to meet the team that's at the pharmacy this week, which was really exciting. And then we'll help grow that business. And then uh, we're actively building out that software now and we'll launch the public version for patients and physicians and pharmacies in February. So uh, that'll be here pretty quickly. Um, so in the next seven or eight weeks, and we're already contracting with partners um, ahead of time that they kind of understand the platform and we've been able to give them demos on it. So you mentioned you have managed to raise capital and you know, when we think about that in my past experience, it was either Boston or San Francisco, right? You had to be one of those two places. You're in Columbus, man. I mean, how, <laughs> this is not regarded as Silicon Valley. How, uh, and I'm glad you're breaking the mold, but how did you break the mold? How did you get it? Yeah, I, I would say that um, I'm further along uh, on breaking that mold or that the mold has been broken a little bit by folks that are building companies in Columbus prior to me. Um, I know Cover My Meds as they scaled and had the large exit in Columbus. That helped out so many people that um, and entrepreneurs that are starting companies in untold ways. And then uh, recently, Root ha Insurance had an IPO and they were founded and built in Columbus. So that kind of uh, just reverberates to other entrepreneurs and helps them out as Root has their IPO. And then recently, uh, I think it just got announced yesterday, Olive, uh, they raised another two or $300 million um, with over a billion dollar valuation. So companies like that, they, they make it easier for you know, smaller startup companies like Gift Health to raise capital. Um, but the other thing that I've found is uh, capital has been more accessible and easier to raise as a second time founder. Um, there were times in the early days of me raising capital at ScriptDrop that it was uh, rough. That uh, I think our original seed round, we raised six or seven hundred thousand dollars at ScriptDrop, and I had gotten turned down by seventy plus investors, and it took me nine plus months to raise the capital, even with us uh, having customers sign. Um, so it was definitely like swimming through mud um, raising capital at ScriptDrop in the early days. Um, but I'm excited that it will be a little bit easier with Gift Health. Um, it'll, or just hard in a different way, if that makes sense. Um, but it, it makes sense and it excites me that we have a larger vision and we're tackling a larger market. So we can use that capital in a really meaningful and impactful way. Now, I don't know if you're aware, but Dark Rhino Security, about 20% of our clients are healthcare related. Um, that was not by design. It just has come to pass that way. And yeah. we're grateful for that. But, you know, one comment that we would make is that I think we 
have um, our clients are forward thinkers, mm -hmm. right? And my basis in saying that is that when we look at the total spend on technology and healthcare, and then we look at that relative spend in cyber, it's minuscule. And then when we look at the number of breaches and events that have happened, like just in Columbus, I think there was a urologist group that got shut down because their patients' records ended up in Eastern Europe yeah. somewhere, right? And uh, there's been a host of hospitals and health systems across the country that have lost volumes of very sensitive information, if you will, on, mm -hmm. on patients. Why, what are your thoughts on it? What is, is cyber just not at the forefront of healthcare companies? Do they not think about it or they would just take on the risk and say, it's all right? Um, I think it uh, probably depends on the segment. Um, if you think about, you mentioned a urology clinic, they probably use an EHR or EMR. Um, they likely pay quite a bit a month for that software. And yeah, and then they were using McAfee or something or some, I shouldn't yeah. say that. I don't know if they were using McAfee. So, but they were using some, they think they're endpoint antivirus. That's their cyber. And that's covers them for everything. Yes. Yeah. That's what I was getting to that if they sent their EHR or EMR vendor a, a list of questions and said, are we covered for all of this? Um, my guess is that EHR vendor will get back and say, absolutely, we have you covered. That's why you pay for our software. Um, and they want to reaffirm that to them. Um, but as companies in healthcare need to get more technology forward, uh, I think you having a cyber strategy outside of your core vendors um, is important. Uh, it adds additional layers of security because if you think about it, even if you have just good cyber through their EHR, EMR vendor, um, it's still resource allocation and constraints as you hire additional people that you can get socially engineered and socially hacked and different things like that. So I think it would, it's very important for companies as you grow to have a true cybersecurity resource, um, even if they set up training for your employees as they come through and kind of reinforce right. that through your podcast or newsletter, um, because it, as healthcare grows, um, the technology that is used will just get more complex and it will be more ingrained in every single step in the workflow um, as AI kind of becomes more prevalent across the entire ecosystem as well. That's right. And I think it's a very vulnerable segment because when you look at uh, the breaches that are happening, it's all about the money to the, for the largest part, right? Yeah. Uh, it's pay us a ransom or we'll release the data. Even mm -hmm. if even if they have their system set up so that they can recover from being locked out, they'll say, all right, still pay the ransom or we're dumping the data on the market. Right? Yeah. And it's normally about, they want the payment in Bitcoin or ETH. <laughs> they want the payment in Bitcoin, man. And um, it, it's about the money and mm -hmm. healthcare companies have a lot of money. I mean, they have their, there's a lot of money out there to be taken. And I think there are very easy targets because uh, you look at, I look at the management of uh, a lot of these health institutions, they're physicians who are extremely well-trained individuals in their respective profession. Yeah. When it comes to 
cyber, it's kind of, in the world of IT, we would be the neurosurgeons. It's a very yeah. specialized area. It's a highly specialized area. And, and a generalist is not going to address it properly. And I, I just don't think that they have uh, the um, awareness, if you will, that that is yeah. in fact the case and that they should be looking at some degree of spend there. Yeah, well, I, I almost compare it to um, focus and focus, where you're focusing your time. If you're a hospital administrator, you're focusing your time on hundreds of different things versus if you think someone that is trying to hack your system, um, they're making that their job. So them <laughs> hacking your system, they're going to be better than you are at defending your system if you're doing 200 other things, which most administrators are. Uh, so getting someone else on your team um, through a vendor or a relationship or software that their job is to protect your system and that's their only job, you have a much better and much more defensible strategy of combating these hackers. I am going to steal those words from you, Nick, because I couldn't have said it any better, man. That Put is it in a... subject. <laughs> we'll send you the commission check. No, that, that, that you very eloquently summed that up. Uh, because, you know, just today, uh, there was a report released by IBM, uh, and it was about how there has been a concerted effort of attacking the vaccine delivery chain. So they're not attacking the manufacturers per se, they're attacking the delivery chain and want to compromise that in some way. Now, in this instance, they think it's a nation state. So the motivations are not about money necessarily. They're more nefarious. To incite chaos. Yeah, inside chaos, as the case may be. Uh, but when I think about your models that you've developed uh, on the delivery side, do you see a, a vulnerability there that needs, set of vulnerabilities that need to be closed or be? Uh, so on the tech side, I wouldn't want to speak to that in, in with exact specificity. Um, but I think when the vaccine is rolled out, uh, I think there's going to be thousands of vulnerabilities, just if you think of the supply chain and um, we're effectively distributing a vaccine to, and this has never been done in human history, it'll be the most demanded vaccine in human history. Um, I envision long lines and resource constraints and everything um, because we have been locked down as a country or as a world for many, many months now. Um, and then the vaccine is effectively that promise or that um, light at the end of the tunnel to allow us to resume to normal lives. Um, so I think just the idea behind that, of that type of demand, um, I think it's going to stress the system significantly. Uh, but if collectively everyone knows that and you know that we need to all work together, to uh, help with distribution or help with communication about the vaccine, anything um, kind of view it as an all hands on deck effort. Uh, we'll kind of work through those kinks and work through the wrinkles and just make that solution and the end to end distribution, all of that um, better by the day. Uh, but I, I think it'll be really tough. Are there specific areas that you have seen through experience that might be 
more vulnerable to cyber than others or functions that you would say, hey, guys, if you're not going to do anything, at least do X. Do you have any thought or guidance on what that X might be? I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, Nick. But... Yeah. Um, I may not have too many great examples or great feedback, um, but one thing that I've seen that it, it helps on kind of avoiding your system get hacked is uh, on the enterprise side, especially because that's frequently what I've been in in healthcare, is uh, having a different sign up and login process um, for the system for your users that's outside of your core website that anyone can go to um, where you don't have such easy access for account creation and all of that. And then that's when someone can create an account and then kind of get in and poke around and expose vulnerabilities in a much easier way. Uh, so we've always segmented up and, you know, had a different signup process for accounts and a different login for accounts that frequently was not published to, you know, everyone. Um, it, you couldn't find it in a Google search, anything like that. Um, and of course, if you're, you don't have as many people, trying to beat down the front door, uh, it ends up being quite a bit safer. Um, but it, it's something that you just constantly have to be monitoring. And we got to at ScriptDrop where we had an entire team that that's all they thought about was security and just uh, making sure that our system was impenetrable um, or as close to impenetrable as possible. Um, but the fact is there's companies that they do not have the resources for that um, and or the knowledge. Uh, so it's uh, at that point finding the right partner uh, to handle that for you so you can have that peace of mind. But again, you know, turning back the, the attention to you a little bit, Nick, I, I'm sure so gift health is going to be immensely successful. Have you thought about what's next? Where, where do you see the future uh, going 15 years out? Do you have a a vision or insight as to how you see things evolving in, in your niche? Um, uh, certainly technology taking even more of a front seat um, or even a, the driver's seat in healthcare. Um, I, I'm really excited about uh, not what outside of what Gift Health is doing, but I'm really excited about some of these companies that are being founded that are applying AI to drug discovery um, I think some of these companies, there was one that was just funded today really heavily by Andreessen. Um, I think that those companies are going to discover really life-changing and um, foundational and breakthrough drugs really quickly by applying AI to drug discovery. Um, that's something that really excites me every time I read about it. Um, it's not my skill set, so I can never contribute uh, towards that field, but it's just incredibly interesting to envision uh, AI eventually being able to solve cancer and uh, you don't have so many pe people that die of cancer every year. Um, that's something that I think would just be mon monumental for human history. Now, your AI is applied a lot to big data problems. Do you see, you just mentioned drug discovery, but given all the data that we have on medication use, interactions, outcomes. Is there an opportunity for an AI company to uh, leverage that existing data to better outcomes with what we have today? Um, there, there would be in theory, um, but the issue that frequently 
these companies run into is data access. Uh, so in healthcare, there's so many of these silos set up where you cannot get access to the data to put together a full data set. So you can apply AI or machine learning to that and really drive innovation. Um, I know that uh, HHS, several months back, they published uh, a notification that they're gonna change data standards to kind of allow data to be opened up more in healthcare. Um, so think of it, rather than a data silo, you have a data lake that everyone can go to and as long as they're, they have the right tools that everyone can access this large data set. I think once that is set up in that manner is where you'll see innovation get expedited in healthcare um, so that so many of these healthcare companies do not view data as you know, this re resource that they can't allow anyone else to touch or access uh, versus viewing it as this collaborative effort um, to positively impact patient care. Nick, do you see um, a place, again, for big data to lower the cost of healthcare? Is there an opportunity there? Yes, I think so. Um, uh, of course, you have to kind of sometimes fight through red tape or just entrenched players that have been here forever, that they've set up so many barriers and dug out a huge moat that it's hard to compete against them. Um, but that's something that we're wanting to do at Gift Health that in, as our second phase, that we think it will impact uh, the cost of prescriptions and lower the cost of medications for patients across the country. Um, we'll be building out a PBM as a service. Um, it's my expectation that we'll have this live by, you know, end of summer next year. Um, and that'll set it up to where, think of Twilio, if you've ever used Twilio to build SMS apps. Okay. At this point, when you used Twilio four years ago, you had to write code and you had to write servers and it was more technical to get a plat uh, SMS app launched. Now it's a workflow tool if you want to that you can drag and drop and just type and uh, then you can launch an app with, with zero coding. Um, so we're taking that same mentality and applying it to the PBM space so that you as an entrepreneur, if you want to launch your own PBM, you do not necessarily need to understand that. You can launch it on GiftHealth's platform and our tech will power that PBM for you. Um, if you're an enterprise company, such as a, a, a chain like Kroger um, or Walmart or any of those, you also could launch a PBM on top of our platform and uh, not necessarily need to understand you know, the plumbing and how it works or the tech. Uh, you just go out and sell that solution and impact patient care in a really positive way. Um, I think doing that will drive more competition in the PBM space, which will lead to better drug prices for all of us, uh, which is a really exciting mission that we have. Is that where the name Gift Health comes from? Is that the gift in Gift Health or? Uh, so not exactly. Uh, kind of the name comes from, um, I know that all of us value health but you don't value good health until you run into issues or you get an illness or anything. Uh, so the name of the company, it's just a constant reminder that good health is a gift. Um, and it's something that we want to keep at top of mind that the patients that we interact with and the users that we contract with and partners, uh, we all want to give that gift uh, to patients consistently of them having better health. That's a very uh, noble thought and mission and uh, 
it's great to see someone like you in the space actually saying that with some heart because I think that that's what's going to take to make a material difference. Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, healthcare, there's so many opportunities to drive positive impact. Um, it's sometimes difficult, but it, it's it's definitely challenging, which excites me because it's fun and it's just hard problems um, you can really get interested in and kind of get behind, if that makes sense. It does. I know, uh, Nick, we're here at uh, almost at the hour. Um, you been very generous with your time. Is there some company or yourself or any meetings or uh, events you're doing that you'd like to plug and let our listeners know about? To... Um, uh, not right now, which is it's a little tougher. I haven't uh, been as active in some of the events um, with COVID and everything. Um, I did recently join the Columbus Leadership Council. I was asked to join that, um, and that's something that I'm excited about where it gives me the opportunity to get out into the community and uh, mentor and then, of course, learn from other folks where I have that opportunity to constantly learn and grow, um, which is always important to continue that journey of uh, self-growth. Fantastic. And on that note, Nick, we really appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it.